Reggie, and uh, this morning I will have the job of um, preaching from God's Word as we close out our Advent series here at Redemption. Normally, here at Redemption, um, the person you would see on stage is Jeremy Carr, because he's a pastor. Jeremy is actually on sabbatical right now, and he will be out on sabbatical until February. Um, but I think most of us have got an opportunity to talk to him over the last week or so, or a few of us have had an opportunity. And uh, he and Melody and that are doing well, um, and, um, and we'll see them back in a few months. But like I said this morning, uh, we're going to finish up our Advent series here at Redemption over the past four weeks. Um, we have been going through the first two chapters of Matthew and looking at what Matthew's gospel to teach us about the first coming uh, of Christ. Our Advent series will actually culminate on, on Wednesday night. We will have a Christmas service on Wednesday night here um, at Redemption. Um, so we're looking forward to that as well. Uh, but like I said, this morning we're going to close. We're going to have our last sermon as it relates to the Advent series. Um, but as we get started, let me ask you guys a question. Who's watched the movie Elf yet so far this year? Okay. Any other Christmas movies, Christmas vacation? Anybody? Any other Christmas movies? Okay, well, this week we get to watch Christmas Story, right? And who's seen Star Wars, the greatest Christmas story of all? <laughs> I might get to see that today, I'm not really sure. Um, but over the past, uh, I guess, couple of weeks, my family uh, has been just getting uh, right into the, the swing of Christmas, right? Watching music, I mean, watching movies, listening to Christmas music. Every time we get into the car, my girls want to hear, like, the, you know, the Christmas channel, and all the Christmas songs and Christmas hymns. And things like that. Decorations would be one of Christmas parties. Um, the season is strong, right? It's Christmas, we're all celebrating. Um, and so, what we want to do this morning is just take a few minutes and uh, make sure um, as we close out our Advent series that we're truly focusing in on Christmas, on Christ, um, why the story of the Advent matters, and why the Christmas story is important. So, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get going from there. God, thank you for the opportunity we have to be present this morning to um, dive into your word for just a few minutes. Um, God, thank you for the Christmas story. Thank you that you came to earth for our sake. And God, we talk about that this morning as we dive into that a little bit this morning. God, I pray that you would be at work in our hearts and minds to draw us to yourself. God, I pray um, that you would speak to us this morning. I fully recognize that my words carry little weight and are not important at all. God, but your words that we would hear from you this morning um, carry tremendous weight and are of utmost importance. And so, God, I pray that we would hear from you. I pray that you would use me as an instrument of your grace and mercy, an instrument of your love, an instrument of the gospel, that Jesus would be lifted high, that we might be drawn to you through Jesus. Um, and God, we ask all this in your name, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. As we get started this morning, um, may I read you a story? Everything was ready. The moment God had been waiting for was here at last. God was coming to help his people, just as he promised in the beginning. But how would he come? What would he be like? What would he do? Mountains would have bowed down. Seas would have roared. Trees would have clapped their hands, but the earth held its breath. As silent as snow falling, he came in. And when no one was looking in the darkness, he came. There was a young girl who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Joseph was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. 
One morning, this girl was minding her own business when suddenly a great warrior of light appeared right there in her bedroom. He was Gabriel, and he was an angel, a special messenger from heaven. When she saw the false shining man standing there, Mary was frightened. You don't need to be scared, Gabriel said. God is very happy with you. Mary looked around to see if perhaps he was talking to someone else. Mary, Gabriel said, and he laughed with such gladness that Mary's eyes filled with sudden tears. Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He is God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescue. The God who swung planets into space and kept them whirling around and around, the God who made the universe with just a word, the one who could do anything at all was making himself small and coming down as a baby. Wait, God was sending a baby to rescue the world? But it's too wonderful, Mary said, and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God, Gabriel asked? So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed, I am God's servant. She said, whatever God says, I will do. Sure enough, it was just as the angel had said. Nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now Mary and Joseph had to take a trip to Bethlehem, where King David was from. But when they reached the little town, they found every room was full. Go away, the gamekeepers told them. There isn't any place for you. Where would they stay? Soon Mary's baby would come. They couldn't find anywhere except an old tumble-down stable. So they stayed where the cows and the donkeys and the horses stayed. And there, in the stable, amongst the chickens and the donkeys and the cows, in the quiet of the night, God gave the world this wonderful gift. The baby that would change the world was born, his baby's son. Mary and Joseph wrapped him up to keep him warm. They made a soft bed of straw and used the animal's feeding trough as his cradle. And they gazed in wonder at God's great gift wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Mary and Joseph named him Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us, because of course, he had. That's a retelling of a Christmas story from the Jesus story of the Bible. It's a kid Bible. I trust that you won't be offended. It's a beautiful story and it's a beautiful reminder of exactly why God and there it's very clear. God came to be a rescue. Jesus came to earth to be our rescue. Here's the deal. I believe that God is telling the world a story. A true story. A true all tale. It began before the creation of the world. And it stretches into eternity future. The story peaked about 2,000 years ago. In the way that I just read to you, and that God entered into his creation as a baby. And this story can be to the conclusion today, or tomorrow, or in two years, or in five years, or in a thousand years. We don't know. But the theme of this story is that God is redeeming all things to himself and bringing all things to a point of peace under his kingship and under his rule because he is the rescuer and the savior. Amen. But why is God telling us this story? I believe that we as people are story-shaped creatures. We've talked about this for a few weeks. Now we are born into stories, raised in stories, and we live and die in stories. Stories matter. Stories mean something to us. Stories are all around our culture and all around us all the time. One pastor, Dan Taylor, has said this, a faith for primarily an idea 
the intellect alone might be adequate for dealing with it. Since it is instead a life to be lived, we need story. Story, as does life, engages all of what we are, mind, emotions, spirit, body. Faith calls us to live in a certain way, not just to think in a certain way. It is no surprise, then, that the central record of faith in human history opens with an unmistakable story signature, and the scripture says, in the beginning. Here's the thing. Stories are God's idea. God is the creator of stories, and God created us to be impacted by stories. The, the Bible, for all that it is, for all that it teaches us, for all the doctrine that it possesses, for all the propositions it contains, for all the commands it sends us out to do, is still the story through which God is revealing himself to his creation. God came to earth as a baby, ultimately to save and rescue his people. That's a propositional statement. That's a fact. It's a declaration of fact. It is true, and it's based on Scripture. Matthew 1, 21. This is our primary text for today. Even though we'll look at a bunch of other Scriptures as well. Matthew 1, 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let me read it again. She will bear a son, we shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I believe that is the central text of Matthew, the first two chapters of Matthew, and I believe that most of the book of Matthew exists to illustrate that fact, that Jesus is God, and he's here to save his people, his very own people, that Jesus is God, come to earth to rescue his people, and Matthew tells us that story. But that statement by itself hangs suspended in abstract assertion. If I were to say Jesus is God on earth, come to save his people, that's just an abstract principle. Like I said, it's a proposition. And imagine having all the propositions of the Bible, all the propositions about Jesus, but none of the stories that explain what it means for Jesus to be our deliverer and savior. Imagine knowing that Jesus is God come to earth to rescue us, but not knowing the Advent story, not knowing the background that reaches all the way to the creation of the world as God has put all of this in motion to come to earth as a baby to rescue his people. Imagine a Bible with no Genesis that tells the story of God creating and people falling and needing a rescuer. Imagine the Bible with no Exodus and no story of God delivering his people from captivity and slavery. Imagine a Bible with none of the historical books of the Old Testament that constantly point to Jesus and that God would send a deliverer and savior. Imagine no gospels that tell us the stories of Jesus, of Jesus being born and, and being in a manger and all the things that he did during his life. Imagine no Bible, while I would no Acts to tell us how the early church expanded in all the, the, the historical <coughs> and, uh, and, the, um, and the supernatural way in which God worked to expand the church across, across the first century. Imagine the Bible with only Romans, part of the epistles, and some scattered assertions and commands from here and there. Those assertions and commands would be true. But we would have very little idea of what to do with them if 
If it were not for the stories that God has given us of His Word. Stories exist to remind us of what God has done. Stories exist to teach us, to teach us what God says is true, to illustrate what God wants us to know. Jesus constantly used parables when he was teaching people, constantly used stories to teach people. Stories matter, and the story of Advent matters because it's about Jesus, because it's true, and because God did what he said he would do. As Christians in this season, we're celebrating the arrival of Jesus into this world. And for us as Christians, it's far more than just a celebration of this, some historic event that happened 2,000 years ago. Advent is a celebration that Christ has come, and that his power is working present today, and that he will return to finish everything he started. If you were here last week, you heard me read from Revelation 19, um, where it has, gives us a picture of King Jesus returning, creating all things new. So with all of that said, stories matter. God has given us his story, his record, his interaction with his people, that we might know what God wants us to know. He's revealed himself through scripture, through the stories of scripture, so that he might teach us what he would have us know. And so with all of that said, let's quickly dive into this idea a little bit more that Jesus came to save us and to, to deliver us. That's what Matthew 1.21 says. God, he will save his people from their sin. When we say that, we're saying that Jesus is our deliverer. We're saying that Jesus is the one who saves us from danger and destruction. We're saying that he's our liberator, our protector, our defender, our hero, our rescuer. Our Savior. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that you needed to be saved from? Whatever it might be, a financial situation. Uh, maybe it might be something as simple as uh, driving your car into a ditch. I remember when I was 15 years old, um, my father had a 1977 Ford pickup truck. It was a stick shift and it had three on the tree. Everybody know what that is? And it was a beast of a truck. It had no air conditioning, no power steering, no anything. And I was 15, and I thought I knew how to drive. Um, so I took my dad's truck out and was driving around the neighborhood I lived in. Uh, it, was a, it was a rural neighborhood. I, lived, I grew up in a little town called Mudbox, South Carolina. Um, and so I was out driving the truck around, and I pulled into somebody's driveway, and I went to pull back out. And um, because I wasn't very good because I was 15. Um, I drove into the ditch, right? So right beside the highway. So the truck was hanging in the ditch like this, and I had a buddy of mine with me. Um, so I was out driving around to show my cool level as I was 15, and I was able to drive this truck. And I was stuck. And in that moment, I realized this is not going to go well for me. <laughs> what am I going to do? Like, you know, I, I didn't have a cell phone back then. That was a long time ago, 25 years ago. That hurts to say that. Um, <laughs> I didn't have a cell phone. I was a couple miles from the house. Um, it's a, um, like I said, it's a rural neighborhood of the houses of the lake. So there's not a lot of people who live up there. They're more mainly like weekend homes. I had no idea what I was going to do. And so I was like, all right, we just got to walk home. We just got to walk home and tell my dad what happened. And I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this situation. Um, so we start to walk, and all of a sudden this guy drives up and he goes, hey, um, I see that your truck is stuck in a ditch. Do you need some help? 
<laughs> so uh, he pulled us out of the ditch. I came over to our home, and uh, we're inside over there. When my dad walks in, he goes, "Hey, what, what happened to the truck?" I said, what, "Nothing." <laughs> I was like, "Well, it's dented on one side. It fell into something. Looks like he ran over something or fell on something." Or I had never considered that he would be able to figure that out. <laughs> um, but anyway, I needed a rescuer in that moment, and miraculously there was one there. Uh, I still got in trouble for the whole situation, but it was a situation um, where somebody was able to rescue me to, to come and to save me from that ditch. Here's a propositional statement for you. Jesus is God. Jesus is God with us, and Jesus is God with us to save us. That's what Matthew 21 is telling us. But is there some picture in Scripture that helps us understand what it means to be saved and delivered? Is there some place in Scripture where we can go to find a story that explains what it means exactly for God to be our Savior and deliverer? And I will ask you again, may I tell you a story? In Exodus chapter 1, we have the beginning of the story of um, of Moses. And in Exodus chapter 1, if you don't remember, or maybe you haven't heard the story, I'll fill you in. The people of God, God's chosen people, find themselves in Egypt as slaves. And they didn't get to Egypt as slaves. They went to Egypt because one of their forefathers named Joseph had made his way up the ranks of the Egyptian ruling class through God's sovereign hand. And Joseph, as a government, government official, actually saved Israel out of a drought, and that led God's people to become part of the Egyptian Empire. And this is long before Jerusalem is established, and long before um, God's people are in the Promised Land. And so, if we pick up in Exodus chapter one, starting in verse eight, we read this: Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, "Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us." Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they sent taskmasters to deliver them, to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh, store cities, Tithom, and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service mortar and brick, and all kinds of work of the field, and all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So God's people find themselves in Egypt enslaved by Pharaoh. They have no hope. They are forced to work for Pharaoh, and they have no hope. You know, oftentimes we can find ourselves with no hope. Probably not to the level that God's people were in here, but maybe that's a statement that you can relate to this morning. At the end of Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh commands all the Hebrew male babies to be drowned in the Nile. And so at the beginning of Exodus chapter 2, God begins to act. He causes or he raises up a, a God's people named Moses. And you know the story of Moses. You've all seen it. Um, 
so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of the Lord who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and a pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. The waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the Went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters came on wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord, the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw their horsemen into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots, and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. For the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Merry Christmas, right? <laughs> it's an incredible story. Because it is a picture of what Jesus came to earth to do. The Egyptians found, I mean, the Israelites found themselves trapped between a great sea of water and the Egyptian army, and they had no hope. And God showed up in an unexpected way and rescued his people. It's a picture of salvation, it is a story of deliverance. And so if we come back to Matthew 1, 21, maybe we can read that in a different light. Moses delivered God's people from physical slavery into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey that God promised his people. But Matthew 1, 21 is so much bigger than that. In Matthew 1, 21, we know that Joseph is visited by an angel, and the angel says to him, she will bear a son, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save, for he will rescue, and he will deliver his people from their sins. Moses saved and delivered the people of God out of physical slavery, but the coming of Jesus Christ is not deliverance of your life and my life from the difficulties in the here and now but rather it's the salvation of our souls from the root of issue that causes the devastation that plagues all of our lives. The plagues of Satan, sin, and death, not frauds and nets. The coming of Jesus Christ sounded the death toll on 
itself, the death of sin once and for all. Listen to this passage from Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God, God did something to rescue and deliver his people. God acted on behalf of his people, just like he acted on behalf of the Israelites when they were trapped between a sea and the Egyptian army. God acted on our behalf to save us. The coming of Jesus introduces into our life freedom from the real root issues of the heart that lead to all sorts of brokenness and sin and disaster and wickedness in this world. Jesus showed up to defeat Satan's sin and death for all time. God didn't send Moses this time. God came to earth in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, to save his people from something from which they could not save themselves. He shows up and a certain death lies on each side of us. As destruction and devastation and death and sin lies all around us. God shows up God does something miraculous by coming to earth as a baby. He shows up to free his people and deliver them from which they absolutely could not deliver themselves. And I read you a story. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring these good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. On a real day in history, on an actual day in history, not a day in some mythological, imaginary story, but a day when Luke tells us that Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome, Quirinius was governor of Syria. God showed up to do something. In a real city, the city of David, a city that still exists to this day, the city of Bethlehem, salvation showed up. Not in Narnia, not in Middle Earth, not in the galaxy far, far away, but in a city that's a few thousand miles from here, across the ocean, a real Savior came to earth. A Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, 
Savior. If you have ever sinned against God, you need a Savior. And we all have. The angel said to Joseph, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Only God can forgive sins, and God came to earth as a baby to do something, to act for the best for his people. A Savior who is Christ. Runs he was born in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ. Christ is the English word for Christos, which means anointed one, which is the Messiah. This is the long predicted, long awaited, the one anointed above all others to be king, prophet, priest for all time. Runs he was born in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The ruler, the sovereign, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Lord. Isaiah said it this way, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. In this season of Christmas, in this season of Advent, what we're trying to do is to look backwards and to remember the true tall tale. Christmas, the true tall tale of the Advent story. We remember what Jesus has done. We look forward to the completion of the story in the future. But as we remember, as we remember, I would encourage you to allow God to teach us through this story. As we reflect on the story, as we remember the story, as we read the story, as we celebrate Christmas, I would ask that you that you would learn what God would have us to learn through this. God came to earth as a baby to accomplish something, to do something, to rescue his people. The Exodus gives us an incredible picture of what it means to be delivered and rescued. It's a story of God actually acting on behalf of his people. And in an even more magnificent way, Jesus came as a baby to rescue his people. So my call to you this morning, <coughs> same as it has been for the last few weeks, are you believing the story? I believe it's a true story. I believe it really happened. I believe it matters. But my question to you is, do you believe it? And if so, if you do, then it should actually affect the way it should bear out in your life. It should make a difference and it should matter. So are you believing this story? Are you sharing the story with your family, with your missional community, with your kids, with your relatives, the people around you? Are you telling the story so that those who have never heard it will hear it in a new way? Well, we'll hear it for the first time or, or maybe someone needs to hear it in a new way having heard it before. Are you believing the story? Are you sharing the story? Are you telling the story? My, my call to you during this Christmas season, during this Advent, is to wrap yourself up in the story that God might speak to us, that God might remind us of what he's done on our behalf to rescue us from that which we could never rescue ourselves. We're going to uh, move into a time of response and um, 
as we close out our service this morning, I'd like to go on with you. During the next few minutes, the band's going to come back up here on stage, and they're going to uh, lead us in some songs and provide the opportunity for us to continue to worship through singing. Uh, during this time, we also have the opportunity to worship through giving. There's a giving basket in the back where as God calls you to worship through the act of giving. Um, during this time as well, I encourage you, if God is at work in your hearts and minds, to sit where you are and reflect on those things that you're hearing, reflect on those things that um, God is speaking to you. Um, if you need to know more about what it means to be a follower of Christ, then please let me know. Um, we will talk about that. And as well, during this time, um, we're going to uh, celebrate communion. And so as we celebrate communion, I would ask you, uh, just a few minutes, if you're going to come and take communion, for everybody to come down this middle aisle and split off in two different directions. Here's the reason we do communion. And here's the reason why we invite you to do it, whether you're a member of uh, the ministry or not. We celebrate communion because scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians that when we celebrate communion, when we take communion, we're remembering what God has called us. Uh, I mean, we're remembering what God has done for us, and we're proclaiming to one another. That's what we're doing in the Heart of Sadness series. We're remembering that God has acted on our behalf. And hopefully we're proclaiming to one another that we believe that God did what he said he would do and that God actually acted and God rescued his people. So as we come on to take communion in a minute, please recognize that by doing so um, that we're actually saying we believe this and that in the act of saying that we believe this, we're remembering what Christ has done. God, thank you for the opportunity we've had uh, just over the last few minutes to spend um, just a short amount of time looking at your word, being reminded of what you've done for us, being reminded of how you deliver your people, being reminded of why you came to earth as a nation. And God, as we continue to respond, as we continue to worship, I pray that you would continue to raise Jesus high, that Jesus would be lifted high, that we would be drawn to, to you. God, thank you that you acted. Thank you that you came to save. Thank you that you rescued us. And God, during this time, please continue to draw us to yourself through Jesus. And God, we ask all this in the name of your Son.